We want people to seriously look at the past and we, want to, and we also have some questions to ask each other about uh, how family of origin, ways of dealing with different issues happened in your family, happened in your family, and we have them ask each other these questions so that they can learn how different they are and, and how, you know, how was anger, how was conflict resolution handled in your home? How was anger handled in your home? Did you stonewall and go silent or did you argue and fight? You know, and so when, when you, you ask each other these questions, now you can work them out. Well, here I'm sitting with this couple and we had spent a lot of time together. Because they had small children, I would go over to their place after bedtime. So we ended up putting some late hours in. Uh, didn't seem to be getting anywhere. And then I went over this teaching. And a couple days later, I got a call from him. He says, I don't know what happened, but I have a different wife. And when I ran into her again, I said, tell me what happened. She said, well, the lights came on. All of a sudden I realized I didn't have to live out of my feelings and my emotions. So let's talk about it. Let's look at this tool. Okay. And then we'll wrap up the day. Living by his spirit out of our spirit. That's, that's what we want to look at. Living by the spirit. God wants us to live by his spirit out of our spirit. So I call it living by the spirit. Romans 8, 1 and 2. Therefore, there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There goes our identity, right? Our identity is in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. Wow, how wonderful, how awesome. In Revelation 3.20, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, opens the door. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in. And look what it says. I will come into him and I'll dine with him and he with me. Do you, do you see what Jesus wants to have with us? You know, see the kind of relationship he wants with us? I don't know if you're seeing this the whole weekend, but see, God wants family. What does God want? He wants family. He wants sons and daughters he wants relationship. He wants close, intimate relationship with us. He loves us. He wants a love relationship with us. He wants close communication. He cares. He has compassion. He means what he says. He keeps his word. He's faithful. He wants relationship. Wow. So he wants this closeness. And here it says, because in Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life. For what the law was powerless to do, since it was weakened by my sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. He became sin who knew no sin so that we could become righteous who did not know righteousness. And now a righteousness from God has appeared. Romans 3, 10. It is in Christ. It is by faith in Christ. A righteousness from God. Anyway. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us 
who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the sinful nature desires. But those who live in accord with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Do you, do you, do you see what desire is? That's desire. Having your mind set on something means that you place your desire there. And there's only th one thing able to conquer. There's only one thing strong enough to conquer sin, and that is to have your mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man's death, the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Do you hear that? The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind. And, and you see, we're to be transformed. How? By the renewing of our mind. Not our brain. Our mind and brain are different. We can't go there. We can't go there. We're opening a whole can of worms. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. So here it says in Romans 12, 2, Be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The battle is for your mind. Satan wants to control how you think. He wants to control how you think and process. He says, be transformed, not conformed to this world. You know, I was taught all my life, don't be conformed to this world. And it was always external, don't be conformed. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying, don't be conformed to this, the way the world thinks, but be transformed by the way God thinks. There's place for external transformation and, and not being conformed. There really is. But that is not what Paul is saying. He's saying, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then he continues in Romans 8, but if, but if Christ is in you, your body's dead because of sin, yet your spirit's alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Okay, if Christ is in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. You see, it's, it, the Spirit lives in you. He wants, he wants you totally, completely. So if it depends on whether you have accepted Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the work of the cross, the gift that God gave, if you've received that by faith, you are in Christ. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Isn't it interesting? You see, Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey me. You see, obedience and love is not separate. It's together. That's why we, we get worried, because we think that if we love Jesus, that's enough, and then obedience sort of takes a side trail. That's not true. You can't separate loving Jesus and not, you can't, you can't, you can't love him and not obey him. It, it goes hand in hand. If you love me, you will. And, and you will out of grateful obedience. And he'll give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. He's saying, if you walk in my ways, I will give you an eternal counselor, one, one who will intercede for you. 
The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. Wow. You see the closeness? You see, you see how God wants to be one with us? We'll talk about that tomorrow morning. So who is the Holy Spirit? He is God. The Holy Spirit is coming, and he will be in you. The Father and I will come to you. And so you see the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you see what he's saying is, is we as God, we are going to be in you. Paul keeps saying, don't you know? We'll look at that tomorrow morning, though. A favorite expression of Paul is, don't you know? That your body is the temple of the living God. Yeah. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what he's given us. He's given us this. Uh, the spirit of fear doesn't come from God. It doesn't. People who are anxious and scared, that, that's not from God. God gives us a spirit of power and love, but we need to live out of that. Now, here's a, here's a very fascinating scripture. Now, now, pay attention to what Paul is saying here in, Second, in 1 Corinthians. Who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? You see, I, I, don't, know what, I don't know what you're thinking. Randy, I don't know what you're thinking. You're sitting there and you're looking and I know you're thinking something, but I don't know what you're thinking because you do because the spirit that's in you knows what you're thinking, but I don't know what you're thinking. You sort of know what I'm thinking because I'm talking, yeah. <coughs> but in this, it says in the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. <coughs> now pay attention to what he's saying here. This grips me. Okay, what do you think comes next? We have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. So now, guess what that means? That we may understand what God has freely given to us. So if he gives us his spirit, nobody can know what the thoughts of God are except the spirit of God, but he gives us his spirit to live within us. Now we can know the thoughts of God. You see that? That's what it's saying. And so this, this teaching is, is saying we must learn to live out of his spirit from our spirit. But there's a word that goes on. There's a battle that goes on. We're incredibly complex beings. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're created in the image of our maker. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, May the very God of peace sanctify you completely. And I pray, God, your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When I'm dealing with hurting people, I talk to you about that girl whose uncle was visiting her room. You see, she said, when, he, when I heard footsteps come, I would leave. Why? because it was too painful. And so what you saw was her spirit, soul, and body not working in harmony, not functioning as a unit. And that's very common when you see abused and painful experiences. When there's trauma in a child's life, the spirit, soul, and body don't function well together again. And God wants it to be, he said, here he says, I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body. And so, this is, these are tools for us to use. This weekend, there's tools to get our spirit, soul, and body working and functioning together. You see, forgiving is a huge tool in making our spirit, soul, and body come together and work together. Understanding identity. If we have our identity as a, as a child of God, you see, not being a double-minded person anymore, but being a single-minded person and functioning out of our identity, out of who Jesus is, you see, that brings our spirit, soul, and body and makes it helping, help it to start working as a unit. So, a couple diagrams, it's, listen, there's many people who have tried diagramming 
who we are and what, how we're put together, and this is just my way of trying to illustrate it. So bear with me. You might have seen other illustrations and you might have other ideas what it looks like. So just bear with me and put up with uh, Reed's way of looking at it. Okay. So in our soul, and we could call that our heart, okay? Our heart is the very center of our being. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Not as we think in our mind, our brain, but as a man thinks in his heart, our, our, our whole being, who we are, there's, our mind is in our, our soul. Uh, and there's two parts to our mind. There's the conscious thinking and reasoning, and that's what hopefully you're engaging now. You're reasoning and thinking and you're processing information. You've, you've probably about had enough for the day, but hang in there just a tiny little bit more or a lot bit more. But that's our conscious thinking and reasoning. And then there's the subconscious. And well, anyway, I... I, I'm, I once again, should have went over this before, but our conscious thinking and reasoning is what controls our will. It's we can choose with our will, we can make decisions and choices. And so that's our conscious thinking and reasoning. Then there's the other part of us, and that's our subconscious. That's where our memory is, that's where our learning is, and that's where our habits. How many of you know that we are our memory? We are our memory. That's who you are. That's, that's scary, isn't it, Phil? I know, it's scaring me. Uh, but we are our memory. We are the composite of, of all the things that have happened to us in life, and that's where our memory is. Because if you would get hit on the head, you go out here and fall on the ice and get banged in the head, and you, can't, you have amnesia, and you can't remember who, who, anything anymore, guess what? You won't know who you're married to. You won't know who your parents are. You won't know where you live. You are your memory. Good, bad, and ugly. Wonderful. We are a composite of our memory. And so that is, yeah, and our habits and our learning. It's where it's all tucked away. And that's tied to our emotions and our feelings. So our subconscious mind and our emotions are tied together. Our conscious mind and our will are tied together. And then in the center of us is our spirit. And, and that's sort of the attitude of our mind. Our attitude is there. It's what people see and experience. Um, when, when we get together with somebody, you sense their spirit. You, you sense their attitude. And whether it's cheerful, joyful, sour, whatever. Okay. And then there's, there's some expressions of that. We can have a grateful spirit or we can have an entitlement spirit. And there, this can go on and on. Or we can have a joyful spirit or a resentful spirit. So it's important for us to understand how complex we are. We really are complex. And here's a whole bunch of emotions. I, somebody said there's way over 100 of them, and I only have a few here, but there they are. And, and so when, when things happen, man, there's a whole realm of emotions that we can get involved with, and they're big, but then our will can, can really t you know, kick in too, and there's lots of things that we can choose and do. But, you know, it's so interesting because our will can be manipulative. We can choose to do things. We can choose to try and convince people we're somebody else instead of who we really are. We're pretty good at that, aren't we? Yeah. We can wear masks. We can, we, we can really look good. Man, Grace and I come and we stay with Phil and Mary on. I try and make us look as good as we can. They're, they're getting smart to it. They can see through some of it. But anyway, it's just, it's just, it's just who we are. 
But look, there's one there under red. It's, it's, it's humble. Did you know that you can act humble when you're proud? Yeah, you can, you can really put on some stuff. You can, you, can make, you can convince people that you're other than who you are. And then you add our whole soul is composed in the body. And here's, here's a key, and that is nothing can come into the non-physical part of us unless it comes in through the five windows of the soul, and that's our senses. You, you see, nothing can get in unless it comes through those windows. Our smell, our taste, our touch, our hearing and seeing. So what I'd like to do is sort of, sort of diagram and help us see what makes, how we process what comes at us and to us. So up there is a lightning strike. And it's something we see. So here it comes, and this is sort of how we process information. So here it comes. It's coming in, and it goes into our conscious mind, and it bounces around in our subconscious mind, and it goes into our emotions. Okay, let's do that again, just for the fun of it. Okay, because this is the process that we've just, this is the way thinking works. There's something happening. We see it. It's something negative. It comes in, and we, we're seeing it, and we're looking at it, but it bounces around in our subconscious mind to see if it can connect with any previous experiences like that so we know how to respond, and and oftentimes it does, sometimes it doesn't, so it creates another, but here's what happens when it gets into our emotions. It goes like this, okay? If it's something negative in our emotions, it goes, wow, and that's normal. But here's the whole thing, is when it takes over like that, look what's controlling us now. Our emotions are controlling us. It is, it's covering up, it's controlling our will, it's, it's now controlling the decisions that we make, but it has taken over our our mind completely and our spirit. Our emotions are now controlling us. Many people live out of their emotions. Many people do. In fact, I think the majority of people live out of their emotions. When we live out of our emotions, we're living in the flesh, which is controlled by self-centered desires. Paul says, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, Okay, he says, you gotta, you got to put those things off. You used to walk in those ways. You see, when we, when we live out of our emotions, our feelings dominate us. Do you know anybody like that? People and circumstances control us. <laughs> uh, there's, there's somebody very close to us, and I often said that she lives from crisis to crisis. And if there's not a crisis, she creates one because that's, that's, that's how she functions. And almost always when the whole group's together, she's creating a ruckus because that's what makes her feel important, valued, whatever. It's just she lives from crisis to crisis. And it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of frustrating. I mean, it's not sort of, it is. But people and circumstances control us. We attract and are attracted to unhealed people when we live out of our emotions. We have a spirit of anxiety. These people do what they do because of what they feel, okay? And we do feel. Feelings are real. Feelings are, they're there. And then we can look at the opposite. Overly strict discipline or abuse can cause an intellectually locked heart. And then we shut down emotionally. We shut down our feelings. And we, we shut down and we, we just find life difficult. And we find it, we, it shuts down our emotions. It shuts down our will and we find it difficult to make decisions. And so here's an illustration of that. And it's good we don't deal with this a lot, but we do. And there's some people I know and have worked with 
that are like this. So here comes the same thing, goes into our emotions, and what happens is, is it's too painful and we just shut down and we, can't, we just can't function. You know anybody that just can't function? And I want to tell you something, these, these different illustrations and models, we all experience some of these some of the time. Don't just say, well, that's this person, that's this person. No, we, we can all go there and be there. So when, when this happens, though, this person is very difficult to work with because they just, they're shut down. They're shut down. They, they've just gone into uh, a socially comatose state. Yeah. It's an environment where pain, fear, and anger were not safe to be expressed. You, know, you shouldn't feel that way. Uh, and you, usually it comes from a very dominant parent or parenting. Or there's the opposite, there's another model here. We can harden, repressing our emotions, and we can function out of our will. So here we go again. Same thing coming at us, but now it bounces around in the air, goes into our emotions. And you know what? I am not going to let my emotions control me. I can do this on my own. And, and guess what? If you look at that, see, see, the, see, the, see the size of that lightning strike up there? Well, guess what? By the force of my will, I can handle this, and we shrink that critter, and we make it look better. And you know, when we look at people that handle things like that, and they say, man, they can do life pretty good. These are the people we put in church leadership, because they can get her done. They make good business leaders. They make good problem solvers. But they usually leave a path of destruction in their wake because they get her done. It's more important to get the job done and get it done than it is to be concerned about how people are feeling. It's an environment where emotion was not okay to be expressed. It comes out of usually pretty severe disciplined home. Okay. So how does God want, intend for us to process what comes at us and to us? So here's the design, here's the illustration of how God wants. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us, putting his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. He, he anointed us. He put his seal of ownership in us. He put his spirit within us. So he wants us to live out of our spirit. So let's, let's just sort of look at this model and say, here's, here's how we want to do it. And you know, in showing this to that very damaged woman, it's what changed her life because she saw that she doesn't have to live out of her emotions anymore. So here it comes again, same path. It goes into the emotions and look what happens. The emotions respond. You see, if you didn't have emotions, you couldn't enjoy life. Emotions give us the ability to, ex to experience life. If you didn't have emotions, life wouldn't be fun. In fact, Jesus had lots of emotions. We just had a message on that at home by Rick Rhodes, and he talked about how Jesus had this whole realm of emotions when he was coming in into triumphant, uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Man, there was, there was exciting and shouting and everything else. He was riding on a donkey, and people were ho hollering, Hosanna, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. And then that, that was just, that was a time of celebration, so his emotions had to be just peak. Guess what happens next? He goes into the temple, and he sees them making money in there, and he makes a whip. And it goes from this high to anger. A righteous indignation. And he didn't say, okay, fellows, this, this isn't okay. Now it's time to get out. Get, move your tables out. No, he made a whip. And he started swinging it, and he was flipping tables over. You think he was angry? I think he was angry. 
the zeal for God's house. So he went from the high to the emotions. And the next one was sorrow and tears. So his emotions were real. Our emotions are real. God doesn't want us to shut our emotions down. He wants us to be able to experience life so we can weep with those who weep, we can cry with, we can laugh with those who laugh, we can rejoice with those who rejoice. He wants us to enjoy our emotions. We couldn't enjoy life without those emotions. So, you see, it, it affected the emotions. It comes in there, yes, we experience it, we process, it goes into our emotions. But then what happens next? Now, he says, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is a tool. This is a tool. He's telling us that we're to be responsible to take every thought captive. In other words, what's a thought? That person really ticks me off. And it's in my emotions. And if I leave it in my emotions, guess what's going to happen? My emotions are going to get all riled up. And after a while, I'm going to be telling somebody else. After a while, I'm going to be saying things I shouldn't say. And after a while, there's going to be havoc. And that creates division and problems everywhere you go. What if you were hurt real deeply by what somebody said? Well, then your emotions, you, you, you shut it down, and, and, and now you're going you're gonna to just create more problems. Okay, bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. If Jesus is living in you, if his spirit is in your spirit, guess what? You can bring it captive, and you can say, Jesus, what would you have me do with this? Listen, did you know that if you ask Jesus what he wants you to do with this, you'll almost always get an answer. Sometimes it might come a little bit later, but I'm just telling you. If you are ticked and angry with somebody and say, Jesus, what do you want me to do with this? Jesus is going to say, well, I really want you to be ticked more. Just, just get angrier, right? We know that's, that's, that's not what he's going to do. He's going to say, well, you know, what if you, what if you return good for evil? What if you return blessing for cursing? See, we, we know what Jesus would have to say. You see, his Holy Spirit is there. His Holy Spirit will prompt us. And we know. So he, he wants us to bring those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. Now look what happens. So the next step is, is be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Look at that, look at that lightning strike. You know, look at that lightning strike. Okay, it's still there, but guess what? Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see, when you exercise the spirit, when you exercise the muscle, that's what grows. And when you exercise your spirit, your spirit grows. You exercise your emotions, your emotions grow. Exercise your will, your will grows. God wants us to exercise the spirit. He's telling us, bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And look at that lightning strike. The mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit of light is life and peace. You see, we can take something negative that happens to us and we can turn it into a positive. We can when we live out of our spirit. It might take us a while. We might have to process. But you see, what does the Bible say? What does the scripture say in Philippians? It says, some things work together for good to those who love Christ, to those who are called according to his purpose, right? Isn't that what it says? It says all things, don't it? Which means everything can be turned into a positive if we see it from the light of God developing his nature and his character in us. So now... The mind set on the flesh is death. Mind set on the spirit is life and peace. So then now what happens is he says, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of him who created him. When we put on Jesus, now we start blessing people. 
Now, you see, what we end up with is our spirit, soul, and body are working together in harmony, and our mind, will, and emotions are now governed by our spirit, who his spirit dwells within. So now we have a spirit-controlled person. This is, and this is what struck this gal. All of a sudden, she realized, I can have Jesus control my life. I don't have to let my emotions control me anymore. Now, let's, let's keep on following this because now here you have, now you turn something into positive and then Jesus says, love your enemies. Oh, okay, can I do that? Uh, you know, um, <clears throat> G.K. Chesterton made this comment. He says, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. You find it easy to love your enemies? How about blessing those who curse you? How about doing good to them that hate you? What about praying for those who despitefully use you and persecute you? Here's a kicker, that you may be the children of your Father who is in heaven. Wow. There's, there's two Greek words for children, and the, the one is technos, T-E-C-H-N-O-S, and it means biological child, or sometimes a child by adoption. For example, in 1 John 3, 1, it says, behold what manner of love it is, that we can be called the technos of God, and that is what we are. When we receive Jesus, we become his child. He adopts us. We're a little child, okay? We become his. Now stop and th just, just hear this. This one is not technos. This is weos. I don't remember how to spell it. H-O-U-I-O-U-S or something like that. Weos. I think it's how it's pronounced. That means that you take on the nature of your father. Now you're the mature child of God. You know, when we go to reunions, my two brothers do not look like my daddy. I look like my daddy. I'm built like him. I'm his size. I have his nature. I have his character. My two brothers have more of a mixture. I'm pretty much like my dad. I'm good looking. No, just kidding. Yeah. Uh, do you remember that picture, don't you? <laughs> no. Anyway, I'm just... But you see, what's interesting is, is you see, when people saw, would see me at the reunion, my dad's uncles and my dad's brothers and sisters say, well, you remind us of Lloyd, okay? Well, see, that's, that's because I look like him. Here's what, do you know what Jesus is saying here? Think what he's saying here. Do, do, you, do you see what he's saying? He's saying, if you love your enemies, if you bless those who curse you, if you do good to them and hate you, if you pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, now you're acting and looking like your daddy in heaven. Who's your daddy? You see, those difficult things, that's what Jesus did. That's what he modeled here when he was here. And he says, when you do that, now you look like him. You smell like him. You walk like him. You talk like him. And do you know who the first people are to know? The first one is the one you're married to. 
or your parents or your children. They're the first ones because they see how you walk. They see how you talk. They see how you smell. And I'm telling you, when you don't do this, you smell pretty bad. But when we do this and act like this, when we live out of our spirit, now people see Jesus in us because we, are, we have taken on the nature of our Father and we've become like him. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And that word is weas. You see, if you're led by the Spirit, you, are, you take on the mature qualities of who the Father is. Viktor Frankl says this, when we are no longer able to change a situation, we're challenged to change ourselves. Does anybody know who Viktor Frankl is? Okay. He went through the Holocaust. He was a doctor. And he was married. And he had parents. He was, I think, an only child. But, or maybe he had a sister, I forget. But anyway, after the Holocaust, he found out that his wife had been killed, died in the concentration camps, and both his, his mom and dad had been, and now he was totally alone in this world. He went into depression, and, but, and he, but he focused his life on helping people overcome the trauma of the concentration camps. He used his doctor skills. So he, he's written some books, but he says, when we're no longer able to change a situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. Everything can be taken away from a man but one thing, the freedom to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way. Between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space is our power to choose our response. That's pretty sobering, isn't it? I know things come at us pretty fast at times, but what he's saying is, is when things happen in our lives, we have an opportunity to choose how we're going to respond to that. You know, when, you're, when your closest person to you, whether it's your sibling or, or spouse or parents or whatever it is, when they say something that really hurts, you have that space where you can choose how to respond. When you live out of the flesh or your emotions, you're going you're gonna to send the zinger back. When you live out of the will, you're just going to soldier on and, and make it happen. But when you live out of your spirit, you're going to bless. You're going to care for. Yeah. God has not given us the spirit of... He, God has given us the spirit of power. He's given us the spirit of love, and he's given us the spirit of a sound mind. We're done for the day. Living out of spirit. You see, when she saw that diagram, she could picture in her mind how she could respond to what was happening to her. Uh, it's, just, it's just sort of a, an attempt to show people how we process information. Any comments? Any thoughts?